Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. This Sunday is a standalone message from Acts 2, 42-47. Together we'll learn what the early church devoted themselves to and how we can devote ourselves to the Word, prayer, gathering, and outreach in 2019. Thanks for joining us. I want to share with you uh, some New Year's resolutions made by kids. My New Year's resolution is to not eat as much sugar, but I probably won't keep it. Joey, age 10. Uh, One young man says, I will stop licking everything when I jump in the ball pit. If you're squirming right now, that's okay. That's nasty. One uh, little boy said, my New Year's resolution is to eat 10 bags of clementines each month. Must be a California kid. A little girl said, I'm going to stop picking my nose, but it's going to be hard. (laughs) One little girl says, my resolution is to make it through the year without seeing my mom dance. God, please help. (laughs) One says, my resolution is to stop biting my nails because my mom says she is going to make me wear nail polish that tastes like rotten eggs if I don't. How many parents have threatened that? One little girl says, this year I will work on becoming a famous singer or an accomplished ice dancer. And one little boy says, I won't squeeze out half the tube of toothpaste every time I brush my teeth. Also, I'll brush my teeth. Those kids have great resolutions. Adults, we have resolutions too, right? They're a little bit different. It might be to eat healthier, to get more exercise, save more money, focus on self-care, read more, make new friends, learn a new skill, get a job, take up a new hobby. And a six-year-old girl adds this. She said, what is the point of making resolutions if you never really keep them? Six years old, she gets it. She gets what most of us do, right? U.S. News tells us that approximately 80% to 90% of resolutions fail by the second week of February. Five weeks in. And what I've come to learn is that resolutions are more like intentions than actually doing something. Dallas Willard is an author, and he has a quote about intentions. It challenges me and cuts me to the heart every time I read this or say it out loud. He says, if you have the intention to do something, but you don't do it, you never actually intended to do it. And it just exposes me. I look back and I think of all the times I wanted to set out to do something, but I didn't do it. And what that really means is I never really wanted to do it. I just said I wanted to do it. And so in contrast to these New Year's resolutions, or rather New Year's intentions, what I want to encourage us today to start thinking about, if you're following in your notes, is that great habits are formed daily. Great habits are formed daily. As I was reading on this topic of habits, there's this common myth out there that it takes 21 days to form a habit and then it sticks. Have any of you ever heard that? The only problem with that is that I've done things for 21 days and then I quit. So is it a habit or isn't it? What science has come to discover is that no one can actually put a number on how long it takes to create a habit. Because habits are formed daily. 
It's only in the practicing a habit that it becomes and continues to be a habit. It's what we do daily. So if you're following in your notes, this is so important because our habits shape who we are. Our habits shape who we are. And I'm going to ask you to write this out to the side of that line. We go to print with notes about midweek sometimes, and I wish I would have included this. So please write, our habits shape who we are, and they reveal what we love. They reveal what we love. They reveal what we put our time and energy into doing. They reveal what we care about. One author said this, he said, We are the sum of our habits. And I think when I first read that, it offended me. I wanted to say, no, 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 no. I'm not the sum of my habits. I'm more than that. But as I peel back layers of that, it is true. What I think about, what I'm influenced by, what I do on a daily basis shapes who I am to the point that I'm the sum of my habits. So this morning, I want to talk about some spiritual habits that we can incorporate into our lives in this new year. And we find these habits in the book of Acts, chapter 2. Some authors have called these the holy habits of the early church. And so what I want to do together is look at these habits and then invite you into a practice that we can practice together in the new year. So if you have a Bible with you, I want to invite you to open those to the book of Acts, chapter 2. Acts is a book in the New Testament. It's found right after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Acts, Acts chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse 42. If you don't have a Bible with you, we have black Bibles in the seat rack in front of you. And I'd encourage you to take one of those, open it to Acts 2, 42, page 884, 884, and follow along. I think it'll be beneficial as we see what these four habits are. If you don't own a Bible, take that Bible home with you. We'd love for you to have a copy of God's Word, and we're going to talk about how important God's Word is in just a few moments. But I want to say this also. Wherever you find yourself this morning, whatever age group you are in, whether you are elementary or junior high, high school, you're an adult, senior, this is applicable for you. These holy habits can be implemented by you, whether this is your church home or not, whether you're visiting for the holidays, you can take this back to campus, you can take this back to your home church. These are holy habits that can help us all become more like Jesus, no matter where we find ourselves. So we're going to begin Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Would you read that with me in the first gray box on your notes this morning? It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. The first word we encounter in there is the word devoted. It actually means, if you're following in your notes, continually devoting. I wish the Bible translators would have translated this. They were continually devoting themselves to. That's the verb tense that's used. It's an ongoing verb. So they were continually devoting themselves. They were continually practicing these habits. And the first habit that we see this early group of believers practicing, if you're following in your notes, number one, they were devoted to the word of God. They were devoted to the Word of God. Most of your Bibles that you're looking at right now say they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. So what is that? Uh, The apostles were people who had seen the risen Christ and were people who Jesus came to specifically authorize to go teach 
people about Jesus. And so with most of them, he lived with them for three years. We know them as the disciples. Also, although there were others that were apostles like Paul. So the church collected the writings of these apostles or associates of apostles, and they became the New Testament. That's the reason why Paul, the Apostle Paul, can say in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, you can read this on the screen, Paul says, the church, and let me pause real quick here, the church is not a building, the, the church isn't uh, Cherry Hills, the church isn't Westside's building, it's not Rochester Christian's building, or Southside's building, or Lakeside's, the church is a gathered people, it's a gathered people. And Paul tells us that the gathered people, the church, is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. That's the Old and the New Testament. Our faith is built on God's word. And these 12 apostles passed on to these new Jewish believers. New Jewish believers made up this early church. And the apostles passed on the full account of Jesus' life and teaching that's recorded in our four gospels today. But they would have also helped provide these new Jewish believers who read Scripture with one perspective. They would have given a new perspective and explained how Jesus was the fulfillment of the Old Testament. So that's what the apostles' teaching is. It is teaching concerning Jesus, and the early church practiced the habit of devotion to these teachings. For us, as followers of Jesus, if you're following in your notes, the Bible is God's unchanging word to us. It is God's unchanging word to us, and we seek to submit ourselves to it, to his life-giving teaching in every area of our lives. And you may know this, you may not. The Bible is different than any other book ever written. The Bible is the very word of God, and it's given to us for instruction, for correction, and getting us back on course, rebuking us when we're wrong. It trains us in righteousness and how to become like Jesus. Paul wrote this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 to 17. Paul wrote, all scriptures inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. If you're following in your notes, with that verse in mind also, the Bible guides us and makes us wise. It guides us and makes us wise. Listen, the world is going to give us advice, and the world is going to offer us guidance that leads to dead ends. God's word is trustworthy and it guides us into what is true, what is noble, what is right, what is pure, what is lovely. God's word directs us into a way of better living, the way of Jesus. And that leads us to the next line on your notes if you're following along. The Bible points us to Jesus and how to know him. The Bible points us to Jesus and how to know him. Pastor Al Mohler has this quote. I love this quote. He says, every single text of scripture points to Christ. From Moses to the prophets, he is the focus of every single word of the Bible. Every verse of scripture finds its fulfillment in him and every story in the Bible ends with him. Jesus even said after he rose from the dead, he was talking to two of his followers on the way to Emmaus. It was a long walk and they were talking about the Bible. And Jesus said this in Luke chapter 24, verse 27 to them. 
He said, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. The Bible points us to Jesus. We want to be devoted to God's word. So just like we do every year, I want to invite you to practice this in the new year. If you're following along in your notes, I want to invite you to devote yourself to reading the Bible every day in 2019. Devote yourself to that, to have some sort of reading plan so you can be devoted to God's word. Jeff said something a couple weeks ago. It resonated with me. He asked, what are you influenced by? What do you fill your mind with? Where do you look for truth? And as followers of Jesus, we need to be influenced by the word of God. We fill our minds with the glorious truth of who God is, what he did for us in sending his son Jesus to die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. But we also learn who we are, that we are sons and daughters of the most high God, and we live out of that identity, knowing that God wants to use us, and that identity shapes our thoughts, our words, and our actions. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm really glad you're here this morning. I really am. Here's what I want to invite you to and challenge you to. Spend time with Jesus in the Gospels. Spend time with Jesus in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Would you do that? Would you commit to that? Would you devote to giving Jesus some time? Read the Gospels. Check this Jesus out for yourself. And here's what I'm going to trust. That the Bible will point you to Jesus and how to know him. I'm going to trust the sufficiency of God's word that if you give yourself time in God's word, you will be pointed to Jesus. I want to invite you to that. If you're here and you are a follower of Jesus, the goal of our lives is to become more and more like him. But to do that, we need to be devoted to his word to see how Jesus lived his life and understand what he taught. If you remember this year, we read the New Testament together as a church. We invited you to do that. It was uh, five days a week of reading, and then there was a blog of what stood out to different people. This next year, you can choose whatever Bible reading plan you'd like, whether it's one book or the whole Bible. We're most interested that you're in God's Word every day. But if you'd like to be connected with other people and do a reading plan together, you can find that inside of your bulletin this morning. It's taken from a Bible called the Wayfinding Bible. It's 260 readings, again, five days a week. And it gives a full perspective of the entire Bible. It's a series of chronological readings that captures the main storyline in God's Word. The only place we deviate from that is in the Psalms over the summer. We'll read each of the Psalms together because we're going to be in a teaching series on the Psalms. But one of the priorities of the gathered people in Acts 2 was devotion to God's word. We pray. We pray. If we want to become more like Jesus, we need to be devoted to God's word as well. That's the first holy habit as we enter the new year. The second holy habit that we see in this fellowship was that they were too, if you're following on your notes, devoted to prayer. They were devoted to prayer. The book of Acts actually has more references to prayer than any other book in the New Testament. Over 30 times, we're told, they gathered and prayed. And we read in the New Testament that prayer was the source of life for the early church. The early church prayed, and they were devoted to prayer because they knew they needed God. If you read the book of Acts, 
You don't see them running out trying to accomplish great things for God in their own power. You just don't see that. You see them gathering to pray, being filled with the Holy Spirit, and then scattering, empowered by God to be on mission with God. They knew they needed prayer. And what I've discovered as I studied for this is I am a fool. I am a fool if I think I can see anything happen in my own power and in my own strength. Apart from God and his Holy Spirit, I can do nothing of lasting significance. We can do nothing. Look, we'll do a bunch of really cool things that looks good to the world. We may accomplish a lot in the world's eyes. We can do things that we're really proud of, but if we do them in our own power, we just need to know they're not going to last. They're not going to last. And we will be disappointed. One pastor says this. He said, we have taken that which the early church counted as fundamental and we've made it supplemental to where prayer is an optional program for a faithful few as opposed to the driving force behind everything the church does. We so want to be a church that's devoted to prayer. And that's because if you're following in your notes, prayer acknowledges our dependence on God. It acknowledges our dependence on God. And what I notice about myself is I'm pretty independent a lot of times. I don't do this as often as I need to acknowledge God. Jeff has shared one of the most important scriptures in his life, and it's become one of the most important scriptures in our church. It's Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Would you read this with me on the screen? It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Acknowledging God does something to us. It it puts us in a posture of humility, and God is looking for humble people to accomplish his mission. He's looking for humble people, and that's why if you're following along in your notes, prayer is one of the primary ways God works through his people. It's one of the primary ways. When we pray, we acknowledge who God is and who we are. We acknowledge we're dependent on him. It helps us slow down and pay attention to where God is working and how God is working and what he's saying to us. We say this around here a lot. Many times, God speaks across the ticker of our minds, thoughts that we wouldn't normally have. We gain clarity in prayer, and God changes our perspective in prayer. We're given courage and boldness when we pray, and often we're given the right words said the right way at the right time that we normally otherwise would totally mess up. Prayer changes us, and when we pray, something mysterious happens, that when we cry out to the God of the universe, he hears us, and it can change things. Prayer changes us. So the practice I want to invite you into in this next year is to participate in two upcoming times of prayer because we want to devote ourselves to this in 2019 and we'll be planning more in the future. But we invite you to a time of prayer on New Year's Day in this room at 10 a.m. I know that sounds a little bit strange. There's parades going on and there's football games that'll be starting at noon. But for 30 to 35 minutes... At 10 a.m. on New Year's Day, it'll be very simple. We're going to gather together and humbly acknowledge God and our dependence on him. We invite you to that. 
We invite you to that 30-minute time of prayer. And then on January 2nd to 4th, it's Wednesday to Friday, we'll have a three-day prayer event where you can sign up as individuals, families, or groups of friends, and you can come to the church and pray in 30-minute time slots. We've created a prayer guide for you to help you during that time, and you can stop at the ministry center on your way out today, or there's a link inside your bulletin that you can register for that from your own home. But we want to begin the year in a posture of humility, a posture of dependence, a posture of prayer. And then what I want to invite you to with prayer is to figure out what a habit looks like for you in the new year. Create a habit of prayer. I don't know what that is for you. I don't know how long it is. I don't know when it is or what time of day it is. But create a habit. Maybe it's when you wake up first thing in the morning. Maybe it's before you go to bed at night. Maybe it's midday. But where can you intentionally create a habit to acknowledge who God is and who you are? Here's one suggestion I'll give you. Don't start saying, you know, um, I'm going to wake up on January 1st. I'm going to pray for two and a half hours every morning. I'm going to get out of bed at five and I have three kids. That's going to turn into an intention and a resolution and it will not become a habit. So, Identify what's doable and what's meaningful and what you can create in the rhythms of your life. But create a habit of prayer, acknowledging God in the new year. We want to be a people who are desperately dependent on God through prayer. The third practice that this early fellowship of believers devoted themselves to, if you're following in your notes, number three, they were devoted to gathering. They were devoted to gathering. Would you read verse 46 with me on your notes. It says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. If you're following in your notes, the early church gathered in large groups and small groups. They gathered in large groups and small groups. Let me talk about the large group gathering first. I'm convinced that we have a dangerous temptation to forget how big of a deal it is that we get to gather on Sundays together. We have a dangerous tendency. We have this tendency to let what we're doing in this room become routine, and we lose sight of the fact that week after week as we gather, we're doing something so unique, so distinct, so different than anything else we do all week. We have the privilege as the people of God to gather to meet with God and worship God. And if we see this gathering as a privilege, if we see it as meeting with the God of the universe, then we'll begin to recognize that it's anything but routine. It's an unbelievable privilege we have to gather on Sundays here. But we live in a time where most of culture does not recognize the need to gather with others to worship. Even followers of Jesus struggle to make this a priority. With busy schedules, planned trips, club sports, most families make it to church one to two times a month. Research is showing that even devoted families make it to church one to two times a month. One of my friends is a pastor in California. His name's Caleb, and he wrote a letter to his church about the importance of gathering. He wrote it to parents. So if you're a parent in the room, lean in. I want you to hear these words. This letter was written for you, but I think it's applicable to everybody. He wrote this. I want to share it with you. He said, Christian parents, can I talk to you for a second? 
I understand that not all of us will be able to make it to church every single weekend. I get it. But when we systematically and unintentionally prioritize other things like putting our kids in programs, events, and sports over our kids' involvement in church, we're teaching them three things. One, church isn't that relevant. Two, life can be done without church. And three, it's okay to be casual with church. Please don't ever do that. If you are, please pray about it because I know you probably don't mean to. Jesus Christ died on the cross, not just for your salvation, but also for the salvation of all believers, a.k.a. Jesus died for the church. Please don't unintentionally teach your kids that church is irrelevant. Jesus didn't die for an irrelevant gathering of people. Keep your kids connected, even if you have to miss some events. Their relationship with God and his church is more important than the next event. It's so worth it. And trust that God will handle whatever appointments or events are missed. You might be surprised. I've always found that God comes through when I choose to do the right thing. I love you all, Caleb. So as we step into this new year, the practice I want to invite you into, if you're following on your notes, is to devote yourself and your family to Sunday mornings in 2019. Devote yourself to gathering. Let's be a people that choose to gather on Sunday mornings and make it a priority. But this group of believers didn't just gather in large groups in the temple. They met in homes, in smaller size groups. So the second practice that I want to invite you to is this. If you're following on your notes, devote yourself and your family to a group in 2019. Devote yourself to a group smaller than this room. And there's two reasons that I want to point out why this is so important that we devote ourselves to it. One, you cannot grow into spiritual maturity by yourself. You just can't. I'm not talking about salvation here, but if you want to grow into maturity, if you want to become more like Jesus, you can't do it alone. And meeting in this room on a Sunday is not sufficient to build deep, meaningful relationships. This room is too big to know others deeply and to be fully known. So I want to say this as clearly as I can. Being part of a group smaller than this room is a necessity if you want to become more like Jesus. And that might mean you have to cut some other things out of your schedule. And here's what I'm asking. I'm asking you to reprioritize your family's schedule to be part of a group. It's that important. Now, you might be sitting here thinking... Come on, community's good for some people, but my faith is a private thing. And I want to say this lovingly but boldly. If you're a person that says your faith is a private thing, you have an unbiblical understanding of faith. Faith is a personal thing, but it's never a private thing. And so we want to devote ourselves to being part of groups that are smaller than the size of this room in the new year. There are even practical implications for doing life in community. Studies show that people who are in community versus people who uh, isolate themselves, they live longer lives, they get sick less often, and they're happier. One author says this, I love it. He says, in other words, it's better to eat Twinkies with good friends than to eat broccoli alone. Community is good. And here's another practical implication. By being a part of a group, I've met people and grown to love them that I otherwise would have probably never met 
We've celebrated birthdays together. We've cried together. We've uh, shared the loss of parents and loss of children together. We've prayed together. We've shared our struggles with one another. And we've enjoyed being together. It's actually fun to get together. Our kids look forward to getting together. And if you're not in a group, I really think you're missing out. Is it going to be messy? Yeah. Will it be hard sometimes? Yeah. Will people hurt each other sometimes? Yeah. But it's worth it. It's worth it as we grow more like Jesus together. Let me say one more thing. This is a third thing, but let me say it on the importance of groups. This is just a bonus. Um, If something happens to me, if something happens to all the staff here at Cherry Hills, if all the buildings cease to exist, that's a worst case scenario, but let's play it out. There's no Cherry Hills. If there are groups then thousands of kids and thousands of adults would gather in homes all over our community and they would pray together and they would study the Bible together and they would take care of each other and the church is going to go on because the church is not a building. It is a gathered people. And this worst case scenario for us is a reality for many brothers and sisters around the world. And the only reason the church is thriving around the world is because of these small groups and small communities. So if you're in a group already, way to go. Keep going. Go deeper in this new year. Devote yourself fresh to it. Keep gathering. But if you don't have the type of community in your life where you're partnering with others into mature followers of Jesus, I want to encourage you to do this. Here's the invitation for you. On January 13th, you can read about this in the back of your bulletin this morning. Brian Wilmarth wrote a bulletin column. During the 9.30 and 11 a.m. services, you'll have the opportunity to go to The Rock and participate in an event called Connect, which gives you the opportunity to see what small groups, what life groups have openings. You can sign up for women's Bible studies that way, men's Bible studies that way, our young adults ministry that way. You can find out what Sunday school classes are offered that you can always drop into. If you find something there that works for you and you have a group of people and you want to start gathering with them, let us know so we can support you in whatever way you need supported. Again, you can read about this in your bulletin column today and you can go to the web to uh, to learn more. If you have questions, let us know. But we want to be a people who are devoted to gathering in 2019, both in large groups and small groups. And the fourth and final habit that we see this early gathering of believers devoted to is not inherently stated, but it's very present. And if you're following in your notes, the fourth habit is that they were devoted to living missionally. They were devoted to living missionally. And here's what I mean by that word missionally. It can mean a lot of different things today. But if you're following your notes, being missional means to be on the mission of God. It means to be on the mission of God, making disciples everywhere and anywhere. Here's a quote that helped me understand this even better. I think it can give us a better imagination for this. This quote says, being missional is not the same thing as being committed to missions or being missions-minded. And let me just pause here and say, our church is 
mission-oriented and mission-minded. Next year, we'll give over $650,000 to partner missionaries and mission organizations locally and around the world. So we are mission-minded, but that's not what living missionally is. Being missional, it goes on this quote, to say is a way of thinking about the church and how it relates to the world. A missional church understands that the church does not just send people out to do missions, rather the church is the mission of God into the world in order to heal the world and reconcile people to God. We are the mission. God wants to use us. And the way this looked in the early church is they devoted themselves to what we've already looked at, to God's word, to prayer, to gathering, and blessing their community. They were doing something very attractive to their, for their community because it tells us in verse 47, the church enjoyed the favor of all the people. For the early church, they lived such attractive lives. They didn't just say they were followers of Jesus. Their lives actually looked like Jesus. And that was so attractive to the watching world around them. If you're following in your notes, the early church lived such attractive lives that people joined daily. Verse 47 tells us the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And yes, they were saved because they heard the good news of Jesus, right? Jenny said that. Peter preached and 3,000 people followed Jesus. So we need to speak the good news. But the reason people were willing to listen to the good news of Jesus is because they saw changed lives and what Jesus could do in somebody's life. So here's what I've been learning. This is revolutionary for me. I'm a little embarrassed to say it because I, I wish I would have known this more than maybe two years ago as I've started practicing this. But here's what I've been learning, and I'm still learning this today. If you're following in your notes, that discipleship is evangelism. Discipleship is evangelism. The more we think, the more we act, and the more we live like Jesus, which is discipleship, the more we'll have an opportunity to make a difference in our community and the more opportunities we'll have to introduce people to Jesus. And the reason this has been such a freeing discovery, this is what I used to do. I don't know if any of you can relate to this, but I used to think this way. I would compartmentalize and I would say, I need a strategy to follow Jesus at home to be a great dad and a great husband. And then I need a strategy at the gym on how to share Jesus with people. And then I need a strategy at the coffee shop on how to work Jesus into the conversation with the barista. And I need a strategy at school on how to be a follower of Jesus. And I had all these different strategies going on how to follow Jesus. Has anybody ever felt like that? And this is what I've learned it's so freeing. Jesus was the same person everywhere he went. He didn't have multiple strategies and people were attracted to him. So here's my big takeaway. I can have one strategy in life, one strategy to become more like Jesus. 
by devoting myself to his word, to prayer, to gathering in large groups and small groups. And this one strategy of becoming more like Jesus is how I live missionally everywhere all the time, at home, at work, at the store, at the ball game, when I'm serving with local partner organizations. I'm the same person. I'm becoming more like Jesus. And that is attractive to people and will give us an opportunity to share the good news sometimes with others. Students. There's a number of students in the room today. There was no junior high Sunday school or high school, uh, Sunday school, college students. You're back uh, over the holidays. I just want to speak to you for a minute. You have the unbelievable opportunity to live this way of Jesus, this one life, in your hallways, in your dorm rooms, in your classrooms, on the athletic fields. You have the opportunity to live such attractive lives that other students know there's something different about you. And you might be able to tell them the difference is Jesus. Unbelievable opportunity you have to shine your light for people to see. We believe so much in training ourselves in this habit and living this way. This is so important to us that we're, Jenny Elliott is coming on staff full-time in 2019. She's been on staff part-time for many years here serving in worship arts. She led today. She's going to continue in worship arts, but she'll be leading our efforts to live missionally in our community through local outreach and strategic partnerships, helping us see that discipleship is evangelism. How do we live in our community on mission with God? And so the practice I want to invite you into, if you're following in your notes, devote yourself to spending time with Jesus, to learn from Jesus, how to become like Jesus in 2019, and see yourself as a missionary in our community. And here's the best way I've learned to spend time with Jesus, to learn from Jesus how to become like Jesus. Be devoted to his word, be devoted to prayer, be devoted to gathering in large groups and small groups, and he will change us and we will live differently. We want to be a church, a gathered people who are on mission with God more than ever before in this next year. Friends, these four holy habits can shape the person we are. I'm excited to see what God wants to do in us and through us next year. And earlier I said this, our habits not only shape who we are, but they reveal what we love. So our motivation to practice these habits is our love for Christ Listen, if you leave here today and you think to yourself, I'm just going to go out and I'm going to be intentional and I'm going to try as hard as I can in my own power and I'm going to read the Bible and I'm going to pray and I'm going to gather in a large group and a small group and you try to do that in your own power without your motivation being love for Jesus, it's going to become stale, it's going to become routine and you might even begin to resent what you're doing. That is religion. And what we want to encourage you to do to practice is to practice these habits with a motivation that Jesus is worth our devotion. He is worthy of our devotion. And we practice these habits and we devote ourselves to the word, to prayer, to gathering, and living missionally because Jesus is worth it. That's our motivation. Any other motivation is going to lead to a dead end. 
So as we step into these practices, we want to leave today singing a song with words on our lips called Build My Life to remind ourselves that Jesus is worthy. He is our motivation for devotion in every area of our lives. So we're going to stand together and let these words be a reminder of who Jesus is as we step into this new year. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.